Let him have it, Chris. 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 You're listening to Aerial View on WFMU East Orange and worldwide on the internet at WFMU.org. What kind of radio show is this? I heard his voice on tape and really put it on.
last time that we talked about lessons, we had been on Facebook, and, and Rick, the subject of Rick Nielsen had come up. Oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting because I had said to you that um, back in the day, I didn't listen to an awful lot of Cheap Trick. I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I went out and bought their records. Uh, I knew of Cheap Trick. I heard them on the radio. Yeah. Um, I loved the whole uh, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High thing. And uh, the charisma <laughs> of Robin Zander. Yes. Your mommy's all right. Your daddy is all right. They just seem a little bit weird. That's yeah, the whole yeah, joke. He says yeah, a little yeah. bit weird. Yeah, yeah. I like. Um, I like that. Did I just drop my pick? I like that whole thing. But I, I never really consumed their records, and I, for that, I'm deeply ashamed. And I, I have no good excuses for you. Well, but well, I, there's a good I remember really uh, thinking that Rick Nielsen was a very stylish guy, and I, I really loved his whole uh, onstage persona, and I loved his whole. Um, you know, the hell, where the hell did my pick go? I love the costumes that he would get in. You know, I yeah. don't know whether they call them costumes, but you know, the fact that he oh, wanted yeah, to man. Like, he had a uh, look, man, in a hall or whatever that guy, guy yeah, was. yeah, you know, the dead end kid. Well, they're geniuses, yes, they're geniuses because it's like instead of having four guys where two guys look like rock stars and the other two guys look like awkward rock stars, they they went another way, and no other band had that image. I really liked that, and I really liked, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I sampled because I'm, you know, I got that Amazon Music thing. I was able to download uh, quite a few of their albums and just go through them, and they were amazing songwriters. I mean, the, the uh, and and he's just a very sophisticated guitar player. We could say they're amazing without, song. They were amazing songwriter. Songwriter. Cause he, he pretty he, much he, wrote everything. Really? Like there's some contributions from Robin Zander, Tom Peterson, Robin Zander. You know, like on a George Harrison level, like a couple songs per record, a couple ideas that always fit. But Rick Nielsen really basically wrote everything. Like basically that's his, that's his brainchild. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, uh -huh. I, you know, yeah, that I'm even more impressed. But, yes. Yes, you, you are. Know, uh, what, have you consciously studied his style? Yes, uh, that's why I brought his it up. style? Okay. No, big time. And here's the, a little bit of backstory that's fun is um, when I was first learning to play guitar... I already was playing, like I was play, playing bass in Adrenaline OD, and I was starting to learn guitar. Um, like a lot of people, um, I, my first motivation to want to play guitar was that I wanted to, you know, get more into songwriting. And, you know, I had this idea that it helps to be able to play guitar instead of just bass to write songs. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, you listen to all those punk rock and rock, both kinds of music. I like both kinds of music, punk rock and rock. Yes. And you want to play those crunchy power chords, you know, like your friends. You want that satisfaction of that. So... The big thing, like, so when I was in Adrenaline OD, you know, late 80s, and, and it was kind of like, um, that was the era of, you know, things like the Descendants and the Replacements, you know, either pop punk, like Descendants, or like Replacements and Husker Du, kind of going into more conventional songwriting. Mm -hmm. Like, I was kind of going more with that trend than digging deeper into, like, the Cro-Mags or whatever was going on at the time. Um, so when, and cheap, you know, everyone in AOD and really most of the bands I, went, I was in, everyone was always Cheap Trick fans. So when I started listening to Cheap Trick, you can hear the basic crunchiness, but then you can hear there's other stuff going on that is not from punk rock. And I went to learn that stuff. So I, I it's from the Beatles, isn't it? I mean, well, it's, it's from one? the Beatles is one place, but it's actually, that's the beauty. Um, so I might've mentioned in a prior lesson if you see the Big Star movie, one of the talking heads in the Big Star movie, one of the critics that went to see them with Bad Finger at the critics' convention, a guy named Pete Tomlinson from Edison. 
Okay. And he um, actually he owed me money for a Hamer guitar that I sold him on time payments. What kind of Hamer was it? It was um, I I don't know what the model was, but it was cool looking. It was like less polish, you know, a couple pickups. Yeah. Nothing too weird. Uh, but it's probably the most generic kind of Hamer, but it was, you know, a cool, beefy sounding, you know. Yeah. But I, I got in a new Strat because I decided, which was not the great idea. But anyway, this guy was buying a guitar from me, and he was, uh, you know, a middle-aged man, you know, in his 30s. He seemed very old at the time. I think he was 36. And he was working in a record store. He was like, okay. And I was working in a warehouse living at home. And he was working in a record store. Living, living a dream. On his own. Yeah. So the thing is, is I have dispensable income, and I'm 19. And he's living hand-to-mouth, and he's grown up. So he owes me money for this guitar, and I was living at home, like, working a Teamster job. You know, like, I had no cash flow issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was Jeff Shirosky's roommate at the time, and Jeff's just like, yeah, I don't know how long it's going to take Pete to get you the money. Like, he's going to get you the money. I don't know. And I said, you know, I don't care about the money. Um, I want guitar lessons from this guy. Such a great guitar teacher. And, uh, I mean, such a good, great guitar player. He was not a guitar teacher at all. But I knew that he was one of these older guys that knew everything. Like, you could just tell. The way he played, his feeling, his touch, his... Was he in a band at this point? He was playing in Matt Pinfield's band, Opium Vala. Before that, he'd play in a a band called Rockin' Bricks. Have you ever heard of the Rockin' Bricks? No. They were contemporaries of the Smithereens. They were the Smithereens that didn't make it. The Smithereens that got left behind? Yes, yes. But it was the kind of thing where like, the the Smithereens had one great songwriter and a great band. Rockin' Bricks had three really good songwriters... Like, in other words, they had, like, more guys that sang and wrote, but they didn't have the kind of the vision of maybe... But they were kind of neck-and-neck Smithereens kind of band. Okay. Like, 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 like generation before hardcore, a little older. So he's pressed for money, and he agrees to give you some guitar lessons? Well, he owes me money. So, yeah, yeah he owes me money for guitar, money. and I just said, like, I'll tell you what, I don't even care about the money, just, just let's just do guitar lessons. He's like, all right, I never give guitar lessons, but I'll do it. So what I wanted to know, my, my, I had a list of things that I was trying to get into that I didn't know how to do. And Major, one of the most number ones that I knew he knew about was Cheap Trick, was like one of the secrets. And he really told me, he taught me all the secrets of Cheap Trick. And they remain with me to this day. I know all the secrets of Cheap Trick and and what it's based on. That's great because I was going to suggest, you know, like just to make this a little bit different than other times we've sat down. And by the way, I should probably introduce what's happening here because I haven't yet. This is... An aerial view, podiatry cast, podcast, whatever you want to call it. It's a marathon edition. So please, if you haven't done so yet, um, go and make a pledge at aerialview.me. You'll see a place at the top of the page where you can make a pledge to this particular show. Go to wfmu.org and make a pledge. I would give you the phone number, but I don't remember it offhand for making a pledge. And what's the point anyway, right? Because you're listening to this podcast. Look at the internet. Go on the internet and do it. Find and, what uh, FMU? WFMU.org. And then there's an even longer one if you want to pledge directly to the show. But the best way to do it is go to aerialview.me to the playlist page, and you'll see a box at the top where you can click on that box and, and uh, make a pledge. And this year, for $75 or more pledge to this program, um, I have a very special uh, fifth edition flip-top lighter in chrome with a, a Chris T design by the artist Robert Piersanti, and you could see it there on my playlist page as well. Or if you get the newsletter, I'm sure you've seen it already. That's for a pledge of $75 or more. So please pledge to this program now. And uh, for that amount of money as well, you will get all of the new swag that WFMU has out this year, including the new t shirt and the new 
bumper sticker and all the other new stuff, you can also see at WFMU.org. But for the next two weeks, uh, I'm going to be asking you to do that, and I'll be asking you to do that in the newsletter as well. And uh, it looks like this may be my last year for asking you for this because I still have intentions of wrapping this thing up by July. So when you make your pledge, you're not only pledging for this year, but for the 30 years that I've spent down at WFMU. And I would really appreciate your help, and the station would appreciate your help. Thank you for letting me get that out of the way, Keith Hartel, who, uh, of course, has been here five times before. If my memory serves, this is our sixth sit-down, if I'm counting correctly, uh, guitar lesson. Keith teaches at the Guitar Bar in Hoboken, New Jersey. Yeah. And uh, he's also reachable on his Facebook page. Yes, I can do Skype. Keith Hartel, H-A-R-T-E-L, K-E-I-T-H-H-A-R-T-E-L, is how you find me on Facebook. And you can message me. You can Skype, or you can go to Guitar Bar at Hoboken on First Street, or call him up. Right. And to <laughs> recap, I've known Keith since, uh, what would you say, uh, I can the late 80s? I know uh, we've talked about this before, but let's recap. I, well, I think I register you faster than you register me. I can tell you the first time I ever saw you in flesh, in human flesh, um, Maxwell's probably 86... Articles of Faith. First time I ever went to Maxwell's, I went with Decalator and uh, Andy Scovrin and maybe Harpo. Um, but we went to see Articles of Faith at Maxwell's and you were there. Unless it was the time that we went to see Thunders, but I think it was Articles of Faith. I think it was the first time. And it, you were like a celebrity because you were from the Nihilistics. And we were from New Jersey. And like, you know, we're going into Hoboken, you know, coming into Hoboken from New Brunswick. And like, who knows what kind of fancy people you see. Yeah, we're going to meet like, city people. And you were walking, you, had to, you were smoking a cigar, wearing a hat. Wow. And they're like, yeah, and uh, you reconnected with Andy and Paul, and that's when we first met. But I think we got to know each other better when I was working for Skip, and we used to meet up at the guitar shows a bit. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, and then subsequently, uh, there's all kinds of history in there. Keith was in the band that played at my wedding, for God's sake. Oh, yeah. SFK I just saw TV. Marie Javins out in uh, Los Angeles, by the way. You saw remember who? remember that name. Marie Javins used to be a roommate of Otis Balls. Oh, the two Maries. The two Maries. She was one of the Maries. I've heard there was two Maries. Yeah. I, I dated that. the other Marie for a while, Marie Alice, and, and uh, Marie Javins was her roommate, but... The long and short of it is we've known each, there's a lot of water under this bridge. We've known each other a long fucking time. I love that I can say fucking still on this show. Podcast, um, yeah, freedom. So let's flash forward again to what we're, where we are. We're down in my basement. We've got a couple of amps. Uh, Keith is playing through the circa 1971, 72 plush amp with the 100-watt uh, head and the 215-inch bottom. And I've got my circa 1972 orange amp with the 212 Celestians and um, we're both going pretty raw today I've got the MXR Distortion Plus Keith has the Soviet era Soviet era Big Muff Cold War Big Muff Keith is playing a 2009 SG Classic with P90 pickups and I have my 1968 Les Paul with the three Seymour Duncans and I love it yes loving it I still like the, uh, that's just a little too loud. Yeah, it's cool. It sounds good. So we're going to focus, I think, today on uh, Rick Nielsen because uh, the past shows have had a little hint of ADD. We obviously cover a lot of ground because Rick Nielsen is going to be influenced by a bunch of people. 
Um, but I thought an interesting way to approach this particular uh, edition of the sit-downs with Keith is to try to learn an actual song. So, like, if we picked a cheap trick song to learn, do you have one memorized? Do you have one? Uh, do I have one memorized? Do, what I, a stupid, how can I answer that question? What a stupid question. Oh, my word. My question to you would be, do you have any that come to your mind that you're curious about, that you have questions about? I, look, I, I hate to sound or cliched. yeah. But I always thought Surrender was one of the most perfect songs ever written. There you go. Perfect song and to start with. I would just surrender to surrender. I mean, fuck well, it. There's a lot to you learn know? there. There's a lot to learn. Yeah. There's a lot to learn. How many different techniques is going on in this one song, would you say? I mean, beyond just knowing how to form a chord and how many different techniques? strum. I mean, is there a lot of rock and roll technique in this song? Or what I'm going to say the song has zero techniques. <laughs> No, but here's what it is, though. Here, and this, this is a theme of Cheap Trick in general. The thing that makes Rick Nielsen really a... Um, I, I moved a, this because I didn't know if it was in your eyes. No, yeah, yeah, yeah that's nice. Um, the thing that's so groovy about Rick Nielsen is that there is a thing that Cheap Trick represents that no one else exactly ever got, and that's why they're Cheap Trick. Um, people have this word, and, and I deplore this term. I've been guilty of it. I've participated in people that dabbled in it. But, like, you know, if someone says power pop, I got to run the other way, man. It's going to be corny. It's going to be hokey. It's going to be um, amateurish, uh, rinky-dink. I'm using all those words. Power pop. has very bad connotations. Power Even pop. if, like, the first band that comes to mind when you say power pop is the Raspberries, for instance. Are Who you, are, are awesome. Saying, no, Raspberries yeah. are godlike so, awesome. So none of that applies because I, when I hear power pop. No, the pop, real, I because think. the Raspberries weren't trying to be power pop. They were just making a great band. Okay. Now, when later generations in the 80s and 90s look back on power pop, they talk about the Raspberries. Right. Or oh, cheap. so you're saying posthumously they got labeled power pop? Every right. single band of every every genre, every good band ever would, came out before whatever genre they're supposed to be from. Oh, right. That's okay, a, yeah, I see your point there. But with cheap oh, my trick, God, we're about to have a conversation about vinyl, too, at some yeah. point. Oh, vinyl, the show? I have been watching it. Vinyl, all right, fuck it. Well, then we can't have a conversation about it. All right. Uh, but, but so you... You don't consider what would you consider cheap trick if you were forced to label them? If someone said to you, are you would you say oh, rock I, and roll or would no, you? No, I would have to give them begrudging, begrudgingly power pop. But rock okay. and roll is the right answer. Rock right. and roll is the real right answer. Um, the thing is, if you take a lineage, yes, um, the actual guy that I think gets credit for inventing the term power pop, using it first, was Pete Townsend. Okay, when the Who pre Tommy the Who. You know, they're intellectualizing, they're 60s-izing, you know, yeah. everything is getting more grand, more conceptual. And power pop, I think, was a smart thing that Pete Townsend thought of because they were pop like the Stones and the Kinks and the Beatles, but they were heavier because of the band they had. Yes. But, so, with, with um, there's a, a thing that happens if you follow The Who... Like, The Who had a power thing going before the Hendrix, Zeppelin... Um, Cream came out, mm. but they were before Hendrix Zeppelin Cream. The Who was already louder than everyone else. Once the um, Power Trio wave started, then the Who got even heavier. Now, if you listen to the Who, like um, Live at Leeds, exactly yeah. Live at Leeds. My contention, um, Live at Leeds. Every rhythm guitar sound, ACDC ever made, is on Live at Leeds somewhere. Really, like everything that AC like. Live at Leeds has so much of what became the vocabulary of just rock or hard rock, heavy rock. It's every, you know, all the Zeppelin, all the um, ACDC. 
Yeah. You know, all that kind and of And that like, was that um, guitar, pretty much. Like that, those kind of riffs that right, you associate right, right. with an ACDC um, or a Zeppelin. It's all over Live at Leeds, and it is, you know, the SG, the amplification. Um, so now with... with um, so if you look at what happened after The Who and Zeppelin, now you'd have something like ACDC that's kind of following more in a Who Zeppelin. Then if you look at something like Raspberries, you get this kind of like Beatles Who. And Cheap Trick, a little bit further down in the 70s, and a little bit when punk rock was first starting to think about coming out, like Cheap Trick had this way of um, the songwriting was informed by the Beatles, but also the Kinks, and you know the Move being the deep cut favorite Cheap Trick band. Yeah. But they, he handled the guitar, like there's a basic way of how Townsend handles a guitar, an electric guitar. Like it's almost like Townsend sets a law for this is what you do with an electric guitar. Right. And Jimmy Page does it, and every person that played hard rock ever after did some variation of it. So Rick Nielsen is kind of a perfect student of Pete Townsend. And then he's also a student of all the Beatles songwriting. Mm -hmm. But one of the tricks about the post-Live at Leeds, post-distortion, post-hard rock thing is that you don't play that many notes at once because the distortion means that if you try to clog too much, you know, content into your chord, um, the overdrive, the harmonics of the overdrive make noise. So um, Rick Nielsen is kind of an expert at doing a minimal, like, hard rock thing and then putting all kinds of smart stuff. So on the one hand, you hear the heaviosity and, and, and drive of the Who. Yeah. And then you hear the prettiness and the smartness of the Beatles. And then things like, you know, the Kinks and the, the Move. Um, ACDC was an influence on them as well. It all falls in there, too. I have to, uh, I know this show is full of digressions, but I also, via because I have that Amazon membership, I, I, I went back into the Kinks back catalog yeah. and, and started really listening to a lot of their stuff recently. And there was a lot there I hadn't heard before. I'm ashamed to admit it, uh, but man, what a great band. What a great, great band. They're the most underrated band that everyone loves. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I absolutely. Would, I, would, I would agree with that. Well, they're, 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 kinda, they're the band that everyone loves what they know, but then if they go digging, it's like, whoa, I had no yeah. idea. There's so I much. I mean, very impressive. Just really impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and the Kinks, I mean, the Kinks, getting back to this again, I mean, when you try to go, like, who's ground zero for inventing, like, metal or rock, mm. it's this. <laughs> That's really, to me, I mean, everyone, you might say Rumble by Link Ray. Mm. That's the first power chord song. That's the first hard rock riff song. That's, that's it. That's where it starts. That's it. That's the one. That's ground zero. That's Which is why Van Halen chose to resurrect it, and, right? And Yeah, and yeah. when Van Halen did it, they meddled up by going... You know, they modernized it yeah. instead of... Um... And then I forgot if there was another thing I was going to throw in, but put a pin in it. Okay. So back to Rick. Back uh, to Rick Nielsen. Now, now, okay, Surrender. So here's the thing that's great about Surrender is like much of Cheap Trick, it has the perfect blend of bonehead stupid. I have a loud electric guitar. I can do easy rock things with no effort. And then on the other side, it's very sophisticatedly organized and put together. So your first thing that you got um, is this. What the hell is that? Are you literally just doing? Yeah. Now here's the thing with that. 
that is a live at Leeds thing. Because on live at Leeds, like Tatsum would be like, yo. You know what I mean? Like that's a Townsend thing. The only right. difference is that Rick Nielsen does it on frets. Yeah. But the whole like like that the noise of this resolving into uh that is live at Leeds. That's live yeah. at Leeds 101. And, and what So what Rick does in the song is he starts it at the first fret. Yeah. That's right. Then you do it again. Yeah. And then if you want to be hardcore about it, when you do this, give it the full, like, like really, yo, live it up. Like it's the chaos and, and then it's revolution. So here's what he does now when it when it, after the second time. Now to start the song, you got. So what he does is you have you have a basic like like modulation, the, the trick of modulation. Yeah. So when you're hearing that intro, it's Going a classic intro. Yeah. Yeah, he goes up one half step. So after he's done this twice. And then you start the song, you're supposed to the yeah. Now, here's what everyone gets wrong. Yeah. Is that um, everyone wants to go? Oh, wait. oh no, that's not the part that people get. This part is what you think it is. This part is just. Um, So that's simple, right? So you got man told me, yes, he told me. I mean. Now when you do that, make sure that you move your finger so you get this. Yeah. That's one of those big live leads noises. Like basically like this sound, like the E chord where you're only playing the bottom two notes of the That's very live at leads and then adapted by ACDC a lot. See when you're doing that, make sure that you really hear that. Yeah, the open E strings are important. Yeah. So your progression is. He also told me stay away. Never know what Okay. Then just the other day I heard the same chords backwards. Right. Oh, so, so you're going to do an E. F sharp. See, when you go from that E to the F, just make sure that you move that finger onto the low E string. Oh, so it's a... Uh... Yeah. So, you so wait a minute. This? You're doing... Wait a minute. You're doing... Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. The important thing is when think of the E as a power chord slid down. And then, that's it. Yeah. 
so to the point we're at in the song now, in the verse, you go this way, you go B, F sharp, E, B, do that twice. And then for the second half of the verse, part and this is the part that if you watch cover bands next time you see a cover band playing surrender try to go and expect to see someone play this part wrong we're about to play all right cool so the mommy's all right daddy's all right this is a great example of smarts and dumbness at the same time so mommy's all right is that same b Now, when you're playing this, play the B chord. So it's this one, this one, this one. Yeah. And then when you go from this. Now, you hear this chord? Now, see, now what you want to do, here's what you're trying to do. I recommend when you play this chord, I recommend using those three fingers because it makes it easier to switch to the other stuff. Yeah, now remember you're leaving out the E string there, so you just want to. Yeah, so you go. The other two fingers stay. See, when you, when you play this one. Now, keep your third finger and pinky down when you move to this. I can't make my finger go there. Let your first finger go. No, it has to go to the fourth fret of the low E string. Fourth fret. Middle finger. Middle finger. Fourth fret, low E. Fourth fret, low yeah, E. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And then this. Yeah, again, yeah. And then... Yeah. So basically the way that's working is that what the chords, I mean, you can think of it as this. You have this, these two notes stay the same. These are like drones. But what happens is when you play this, that's a B power chord. When you play this, when you switch the bass to a G sharp, G sharp minor seven. And then when you change to this, B with F sharp in the bass. So what you hear, when you hear them in a row, even though that's simple to play, like it only uses three notes and you could use distortion, yeah. you're actually hearing like, you know, two, a two-parted motion. Because the bass is changing, but the treble part's staying. So you get B, G sharp minor seven, B with F sharp in the bass, then regular E. Try to get this a little better in tune so I can.
go. Tuning up. By the way, does he use any weird tunings? Or uh, I mean, I know he's got a ton of different guitars. No, he doesn't use so. any weird tunings. And... that but uh, so the, the the big point the big point here is and this is like it's a perfect example of the genius of rick nielsen is because what you have is when you start in this b chord you have these three notes right that's a b power chord so you notice now the wrong way that people play it when people play it wrong this is what yes. it sounds like wrong so i'll play it for you wrong you've heard it before it sounds like this wrong sounds like this now for wrong that's not too fucked up right right now right what you want to listen to is the drone of the top two notes against the bass that's what makes it sound like a man who is worthy of having fucking listened to the beatles mm. having listened to the who understanding music even though you don't have to play anything hard to show that you know how to write. And what he's doing is just keeping these two strings droned. If you listen to the contrast, it's a different world. You know what I mean? Tension. Tension. Release. Yeah, so you're starting on the beat power chord. One is get your third finger and pinky parked, and then just keep them parked. Oh, right here. Okay. Yeah, as if you're trying to save the parking space. As if they're coned off, blocked off. Saving the parking space. Alright. Keep right here. Yeah. Yeah, now the third finger and pinky just stay, no matter what. Yeah, so you go from that. Am I playing the top E when I play that? Or? Yeah, you're playing low E. I mean, low you're only e. playing the three strings that your fingers are on. So when I move my finger from here, the second finger is gonna muffle the A string. So after this, it's the notes on the E string and the two E. So it's like. for that yeah yeah and then just move down to the second fret with the first finger and you're muffling with your first finger or second finger and, and uh. it will take no effort it'll muffle it whether you want it to or not yeah that's it and then what's the last chord and then finger so the finger is second fret second fret yep of the low E and still muffling the A and then you have yeah now, and then by the time you get to that E, that should sound like resolution because you've been hearing these weird chords before. So when you hear it, normal, dissonant, dissonant, normal. Yeah. And again, I recommend try to get used to using the first finger for that because it's just less work and it gives you that. 
Yeah, so you go from. Alright, so from the beginning it's B. G sharp. On the B. On the B, am I playing the low E? Nope. No? Okay. See, I would use the second finger there because it'll reach. Oh, easier. I keep doing the wrong thing. You're right. Okay, so. Go to that E, let those other two fingers go so you get a nice clean. I gotta tune up myself. Right. Well, guitars can never be in tune. That's a law of guitars. If I had one of those self tuning robot guitars. Self tuning was a Google? Self tuning robot guitar? The one that Gibson came out with a few years ago? You know, the robot guitar? Yeah, it's got the machine heads that constantly check to see what the tension should be, and then if it's off, they they tune up for you. They keep your guitar in constant tune. Plus, you can do all these alternate tunings with the push of a button. This is all Jimmy Page's fault. Wow, that sounds. I don't know. It's like one. Of, that sounds to me like the kind of thing that would be so convenient that I couldn't imagine being comfortable. With a guitar that was never out of tune, how would I be able to know? Uh, I think most people hate hate it, and they, I mean, at one point, I think last year, they had it, like, where you couldn't get the guitar without it, and so many people were like, this sucks, that they re-examined that whole idea, wow. so... Let me see what how much I've actually absorbed. Okay. So again, uh, these two fingers are parked here on the yes, fourth fret. That's right. The uh, uh, D and G strings. That's right. Okay. And then this finger to begin with is down here. Yes. On uh, second fret. Yes. Low E. Yep. Then I'm moving the second finger here. Well, wait, well, where are you starting from? I'm, wasn't I starting from there? Okay, well, let's do this. Take, oh, wait a minute. No, I'm yeah, starting from that's here. Yeah, so it's just a matter of memorizing that. Yeah. Okay, now check out the rhythm. The rhythm when he's doing the first three chords is very big. And then he bears down the E, so it ends up sounding kind of like this, like a... Is that the only two parts of the song, or is there more? It's kind of the only two parts. Here's the difference: is remember we started here, and then we moved up to play the song. So then, after verse one and verse two, 
He does the intro the same, but starts at the second fret and doesn't modulate, so then it becomes. Now, then he plays the same thing. Yeah. Then what happens in the last verse is they modulate again, so it starts here. Whatever happened to all this? The last verse is modulated a half step higher. That's the only difference. Wow. But I mean, those There's are no the only parts. In this song? Is there no lead? solo, no guitar solo. No solo. Three verses, and what makes it work? This is one of these genius of songwriters thing, like. Um, like like songwriters, um, there's 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 the diabolical songwriting. Like like there's things that people put in songs that you hear, you're like, oh, that's cool. Mm. But then there's the diabolical stuff that you don't hear, but it keeps you interested. So, in the case of this song, he starts down there and then modulates a half step to play the first two verses, but then he modulates again to play the third verse. So there's what everything is built into your psychology. Like, like, like you hear, like intellectually, you hear no change, but the key changes twice in the song. So when the key changes in that last third verse, you hear how this is going somewhere that registers things are happening, but no, there's no, there's no guitar solo or bridge or other parts. There's just a, a couple, a modulation at the beginning and a modulation before the last chorus is all that's in there. What a so, genius. Oh, my God. That is brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, because, you know, it's, it's, it's building. It's a song that keeps building. I like yes. That. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and then there's a, it's a, a, um, minimalism. Yeah. Like, in other words, because he uses the tools to keep it building, keep your attention, make a pop song work, and there's zero fat. There's not one ingredient superfluous to making the song more interesting it is a, a kind of a very Beatles type of move too. That idea of that half step much. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Well, let's try playing it, and um, you know, all the way through. Uh, and I'm gonna fuck it up many, many times. I'm sure, but it might be. Okay, so we start here. We have to start with. Um... Now modulate. Mama told me yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Told me I need girls like Bum, 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 bum. 
hanging in there I was I was doing okay you were hanging there you're doing was, very well it's um wow that is like once you unlock it 
there's not a lot there, but it's exactly. really the way it's uh, it's employed. Well, when you it's say the, about how the way it's employed, it's employed too, yeah. well, not a lot there. Yeah. Like you take that not a lot there, and then really commit to fucking expressing that amount, like because that's what he does. I mean, I mean, a thing like this, like to me, like like a lot of the money there, and it, he uses it in other places. But like you take this thing, like you know, a three note, like a power chord, generic. Then you change to this, sophisto. This has got a lot of uh, bad generic. finger going on in it too. I mean, it, you know, when you were playing that just now, I was thinking, it, whatever, however. The oh, you want to start getting into that? Well, you that? Know, want to open up that can of worms? I, I just was remind. I was just put in mind of that when you played that. Well, that's bad all. finger was the original. I mean, I'm, again, we, no matter. We, that's how it starts out. No matter. We've established what? that we feel that Pete Townsend was probably the first guy that ever said power pop. Right. Badfinger was the first band that sounded like the Beatles, but kind of more rock. Yeah. And no matter what, it's just a great song. It's a a, classic, um, worthy. But since we were talking about Cheap Trick, was there any other... Because my thing was, when I went, you know, talking about going to that guy, Pete, who I thought had secrets, you know, because I played in the hardcore bands, and I felt that Cheap Trick had secrets I wasn't aware of, and I was like, I want to know the secrets. And he taught me all the secrets. Yeah. So, was there are there any other cheap trick songs that you have any questions about? Well, um, you know, like I, I mean, look, I, I don't know a lot of them by name. I know the ones that would have been hits, like uh, "I Want You to Want Me" and "Surrender," and uh, you know, "Dream Police." Well, let's go. <laughs> and uh, you know, not a hell of a lot more. I would actually have to go and look at the track listings to tell you. you no, know, but I, I um, well, there's a couple. Perhaps things. I should be ashamed. I, you, I don't know. Cheap Trick is a band. I love Cheap Trick, but like definitely there's not that many bands that I feel that there's people that they like them too much. Mm-hmm. And I've and especially the power pop thing, because I mean, power pop. I mean, I love the Beatles and I love the Who and I love Cheap Trick and I hate power pop. Like if someone starts saying power pop, it's going to be bad. It's going to be fucking you get like you want to punch somebody. I or, have to say, yeah. I mean, keeping in mind, I used to be in a band called True Love that was pasted with the power pop tag as hard as any band ever did. So when I say that I hate power pop, it's very self-hating. It's very okay. self-abusing. But here is what I'm talking about, though, is um, with like a cheap trick, like it's power pop. And it's just like it's just rock, but it just happens to have catchy tunes and melodies um but when you say so but when you said like i should be ashamed it's like no people should be ashamed for liking cheap trick too much um there and the reason i asked though is because i remember when i was first learning this stuff it was that thing where i felt like i had a good grip on punk rock and then guitar basics and then it sounded like rick nielsen had some hipness which i was right about and it really is there's a mixture of um when you're playing distorted electric hard rock guitar, you don't need to hold down and press and play as many notes to get a vibe going. But, you know, um, your note choice selection choices, that's everything. Mm-hmm. And Rick Nielsen has that perfect thing between like kind of a lazy ish way of playing electric guitar that relies on the natural strengths of things electric guitar does by itself. Mm-hmm. And then making little choices that are the differences that make you be like, oh, this guy knows songs. This guy knows the Beatles. Um, so for me, there was always some little like gizmos in there. I Want You to Want Me is kind of an interesting song because it's got a lot of... Um, 
it's it's got a lot of descending stuff because it's like um I want you to want me is like you have the this. Say if you're playing, a, can you play like a muffly A, and that's the your, your I want you to want me chord. Yeah. I want you to want me. Now, if we are even going to take this as a little micro example of the little specialness of the cheap trick, that tension yeah. note, that 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 little note. It like it adds so much tension, but the song has so much power pop fun that it doesn't sound dissonant. But like basically, you know, I want you Then you're playing an F sharp minor. I need you And then the E bass. And then the D. I love Yeah, and then you end up back at the A. So what he's doing is um, um, descending, like between every chords, because the chords are descending from each other. So you have play an A, then play F sharp minor, then play a D, and then play an A. So that's your basic chords, and then the way that the interest comes is that he spends this time in the tension between the chords with the descending bass note. So if you're going from A, and you're going to end up on F sharp minor, but the way that he gets to it, um, F sharp minor, third and fourth finger should be on the A and D strings. Move them up. A and D. Yeah. Oh, other way. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So he's going from this chord to this chord. But he has a transitional chord, so you get this. I want you to want me. I After every chord, there's a suspense transitional chord, and the little difference the way they handle it is they sit on the transition. Like if you're listening to a TV, if 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 Mark Bolin wrote "I Want You to Want Me," it would sound like this. If Mark Bolin, mm -hmm. T-Rex, there's a T-Rex song that would sound like this. Um, it'd be like um, he'd be like, I want you to want me. I mean, like the transitions would be fast. Right. In this song, the transitions, he hammers on them and builds attention. So you get this. Yeah. Yeah. Starts over again. 
I'm kind of showing there is like if you see that it's kind of a four basic chords yes. but those transitional moments build all this tension that makes it sound like a really interesting complex first yeah but all he's doing is kind of just chilling out on this space that usually people would blow through right that's interesting I mean the, the difference between him and the way Mark Boland would have done it because yeah. it illustrates what you're talking about well yeah Mark Boland I mean that's basically Mark Boland is the most basic guy I mean, as far as one of my favorite, favorite, favorite guys, but like Mark, my Mark Bolin is as basic. Oh yeah, no trickery. I really, I really love his his uh, what he did too because it is the end. It, it's the same thing we're talking about, which is to take some very simple building blocks and make, you know, the parts equal more. The sum of the parts are more than the whole. Or how does that go? Yeah, the whole well, equals more, more than, than the sum, sum of, of the parts. parts. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, and a lot of I mean a lot of it, I mean uh, the Bolin thing besides. You know, the bottom line of writing songs is you have to have a catchy a catchy toe tapper that can stick in people's heads. Oh, yeah. That's the, the number one. And then the other thing is, is like, you know, I'm Mark Bolin, you know, turn of the 70s. You know, um, you know, he started T-Rexing in the 70s, but he was already fucking with Les Paul in the late 60s. Yeah. But basically, the late 60s is when the Les Paul, like that fat Les Paul Marshall sound was invented. Mark Bolin was one of the right after Zeppelin and The Who. Right. Mark Bolin and, and uh, Mick Ronson, they were some of the first guys in the 70s just being like, yeah, anyone could play this, but listen to me understanding what a Les Paul sounds like when I play it and how it sounds so much better. Even though, you know, Mark Bolin didn't do anything that anyone couldn't do, but it, it just everything sounded fantastic and like no one else. Yeah. Plus, he was great at writing hooks. He was all hooks. He was a human yeah. hook. Human that, hook. That, he was a human hook machine. You know? So um, let's just try let's try this one more time. And then I think we're running out of time, unfortunately, uh, just because we got started late. Yes, uh, yes. I had to work. I can't believe they made me work. I, I hate can't when they believe, make me work. Let's, let's digress for a minute because, I mean, yeah. I love that, you know, we unlocked the secrets of surrender, and I want you to want me, even though we didn't do the whole song, obviously, because he's got, you know, he's got other things he does in there. Where, um, you know, I, I, if I remember correctly, there is a solo in that song, isn't there somewhere? It's yeah. like a. Yeah. <laughs> and this guy's got kind of like. I can't remember what it is. He's got some of that shit in there, yeah. like uh, the, the he's like, like very um, country, country five. Right. He's It's very. Uh, I want to say James James Burton. You know, it's very it's it's very uh, like a country lick. Yeah. Yo, know, um, yeah, Steve Cro These things are the Steve, Steve Cropper. These ones, Steve Cropper. Yeah, I used to be able because he, he's got that, yeah, that. That's almost chicken picking, isn't it? 
it's well it's chicken, chicken picking, picking gets into a, it it sounds like something that someone does chicken picking would do right but chicken picking itself is this weird like I can't do it. Boo Ryan's gonna do it. Yeah. But like what chicken chicken picking would be like if, the, if 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 you play a dead note between before each note if you were like um but it's like Yeah. The the chicken picking thing has something to do with if you're combining that like if you're like, yeah, that little hiccup. No, you need a little. That, yeah, there it is. And I suck. I suck That's at chicken. Interviewed, interviewed Lita Ford for the second time the other day. Oh, the other day. Yes. The other day. I think I saw. Did I see you on? I might have seen you with her on Facebook. Yes, on the Book of Faith. Wait, you didn't have the interview with her where she said that Robert Plant almost put her in Led Zeppelin? Because that was the, um, like, there was one point. I just I think she on. did say that during the interview. Yeah, yeah and, no, and she was, yeah, that's funny. But, uh, yeah, but with the chicken, the chicken, chicken picking is when you have that, the dead note before the. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't do it. Though. I, I, I don't do want to do it, frankly. But no, um, not for everyone. What I do want to do is explore uh, Mark Boland for just a minute. Like, oh, let's yes. pick, let's pick a T Rex song and break it down, uh, you know, into its constituent parts and see what we have. And hell, if I was going to pick one off the top of my head, it would be like Jeepster or something okay. you that everybody Jeepster. fucking knows. You know, even though I love Telegram Sam, I think it's a great song. They're all the same. They're all. I mean, yeah, they're all pretty much. Uh, you already know Jeepster. Uh, I do not know Jeepster, no. So one of the things about Mark Bolin, first thing, is just that basically going back to that, like, the Les Pauly thing, and the thing I was just saying is that, like, he has a great feel, a tremendous feel. He's a great songwriter, great groove, great, everything great, but... And I want to make all those qualifiers to not take anything away from the fact that... But he sucks. Well, he's limited. Definitely limited. But the way that a Thunders would be limited or a Johnny Ramone. Like, right. he's one of those guys. But the thing is, he's one of the guys that exploited... He was in the first generation of Les Paul exploiters. Where every... Like, like you notice that when you think of T-Rex, you think of fat guitar sounds. Yeah. The fat sounds. Yeah. So basically, a lot of what he does is he plays a lot of normal shit with a certain pizzazz and a little bit of almost like a punk, like, um, rawness. And it's still very traditional. Right. But uh, Jeepster, uh, and the other thing is he exploits seventh chords. So in Jeepster, he's doing a walk up to A, which goes. And then when he hits that A, he just makes sure he hits that sour. That. One is get your second or third finger at the third fret of the high E string. Third fret, okay. Yeah. And then make sure you really emphasize that note so you get that.
Yeah, just now watch that first finger, make sure it doesn't cover the A string, is the okay. only thing. And then start playing the song, I'll be like, music. Yeah, yeah, so sweet. Yeah, so fine. I want you all everything. Oh, now we need the descent, right? So after this, uh, yeah, so sweet. Yeah, so That's a D. Do you know how to make a regular D7? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're my it's like baby. baby. Yes, you're my love. Back to the A. playing this right this is the d seventh or whatever you whatever you called it yep yeah so when he switches to that chord he just moves everything over It's like a fucking nursery rhyme. I mean, that's like so... Every single T-Rex song is reducible. That's one of the hardest T-Rex songs of all. They're, no, they're is all it, easy. Was he uh, like purposely thinking of like 12-year-old girls singing along? Or what do you think was the guiding light there? Because it's so different from Tyrannosaurus Rex. Like You contrast that to it's Tyrannosaurus... Not, it's not a different thing for Tyrannosaurus Oh, really? Here's what it is. I heard Tyrannosaurus Rex. It hit me in a totally the different style way. style is the different. the percussion the, that makes no, it that much different? Everything about the arrangement, the approach, the recording, the style, but his vocabulary, what he knows how to do, yeah. and what he knows how to make how, his songwriting, his hook making, and his vocabulary is very consistent from T-Rex to Tyrannosaurus Rex. And real difference really is, like, I, I keep on talking about that exploiting the Les Paul, and this goes back into the Rick Nielsen conversation, is that, like, one of the lost arts, and it's a lost art because of um, the way that, you know, electric guitar and distortion and effects are so accessible, is that the idea that, okay, you can learn how to play it, and then if you play acoustic or even clean electric or whatever, you have to like really work to get every clarity of note. Distortion is the lazy man's friend. 
It yeah, well, the it, lazy person's friend. It, I don't want to be sexy. Well, it is. We just mentioned Lita Ford. So. See, here's the thing, because that's true. But here's how it's not true. If it's the lazy man's friend, you're not doing it in a good way. Right. Because otherwise, what you're doing is you get more from it. Like you can, if you're using it right, you're doing something else you can't do on acoustic. Okay. So Mark Bolin, for all the so extra you're, notes, you're that using the distortion as as a part of the instrument. It's it's essentially yeah. It's yeah. Right. It's turning it into a different instrument with different um, different expressive gestures. Okay. So if you're listening to T Rex, what makes it sound so good? We're looking at how simple it is. Well, if he didn't have like a feeling and a vision, a picture in his mind of what he wanted, it wouldn't mean shit. You know what I mean? So what it is, is that like if you have distortion, one note can be so expressive or two notes, but it's kind of like the amount of attention that you put onto every little detail of how you hit every single little note. Aha! Here's so, a good example. Yeah. That's nothing. That's nothing one of the it. best example guys of history. Right. Of, Tony Iommi, yeah. Yeah, making, absolutely. Making less do more. Oh, big time, uh, big we're, time. We're going to wrap up with a quick discussion of, uh, I know one of your favorite guitarists and someone I'm, I'm supposed to be meeting next week to actually interview. Uh, I'll give you a little hint. Little hint. One, two. Ace Fraley. Yes. Yes, there's a very good chance I'm going to have to interview him for my actual job. That's so excellent. I'm using Keith Hartel as my cheat sheet here on Aerial View to ask, you know, like what sets him apart as far as you're concerned. And is he in the line of the people we've been talking about? Is he in that line with, you know, would you consider him more of a, uh, in, in a strange way, like almost like a pop guitarist? Or are you, are you, do you see him as purely, you know, a rock and roll guy? Um, well, and, f- and who's in his lineage? If you had to say, like, who were the guys that he was obviously listening to? Well, he would be? he would have listened to the guy. Well, here's one. The first thing I will say about Ace Frehley, one of his great powers, yes, is that as much as I mean, anyone that plays guitar and likes Kiss will probably tell you some version of Ace Frehley's underrated. And I would I would I would be I would be one of the guys to say that. He sounds like he listened to, like, because Kiss came out in 73. So that means he came out right, you know, Hendrix, uh, Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, like, all those guys were current. Yes. So he was listening to all the same guys as everyone else. Um, he's really, he, he, he's a remarkable player because what you will notice with Ace Fraley, you can compare him against uh, Joe Perry, for instance. Like, I think Aerosmith are better songwriters than Kiss. I think they have more interesting arrangements than kiss Mm -hmm. but like if you listen to like a joe perry lead it'll be cool but you hear some slop and then if you want to try to figure it out you would hear like it doesn't even really sound like he meant anything specific there (laughs) and 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 i don't even mean that as a disc because you can find that in hendrix's playing you could find that in jimmy page's playing right ace Frehley is a guy that er, like if you listen to any kiss record every note is articulated I, I would. He's not as good as, in my opinion, but a lot of the same things I like about is uh, Ross the Boss. Okay. And then the same generation. But the thing about Ace that's really impressive is, like, in the Kiss songs, he played regular rock licks, but if you listen to the lead guitar through every Kiss song, it's always structured every second. Um, Kiss was a classic band of two guitars that didn't... Um, they, they Division of Labor band. Yeah. Like, Paul Stanley really played the rhythm. Ace was always playing lead. 
if you watch an old live kiss video ace didn't have any make me louder pedals okay you're actually hearing a guy playing a les paul through a marshall and that's all you're hearing and it actually if you listen to live kiss he's fighting for signal territory like it's not blasting over everything right you have to be a certain kind of really good player to work like that like um so yeah, I, I can't. So I, wait, I can't are you saying him. he never doubled on rhythm with Paul, or he? I mean, he was he, at some point he was laying back, or was? I'm he, not saying never, oh, never, okay. but listen to any Kiss song. Kiss is a band where generally Paul's always doing rhythm, and most Kiss songs have lead things sprinkled all throughout. Right. And you know, oh, there's okay. a certain amount of doubling, but they were they were a genius division of labor band because the other thing is. Um, a lot of times in a band, the lead guitar, especially Kiss, because Paul was the lead singer. So a lot of times in a band like that, like, say, Cheap Trick, Rick Nielsen is basically the guitar player. Robin Zander plays some, too, and then Rick could play a lead or whatever, but Rick is always doing the heavy lifting. Okay. In a band like Kiss, Paul was the rhythm player and Ace was decorator. Okay. And when you really, especially if you listen to the old live stuff, it sounds exactly like the records. Ace plays every note. He articulates everything. His leads are structured, and um, the chops are there. But like, like that's the thing is like it's he's not that next level like um, you know Ross the Boss or um, mm. pick your favorite. But like, I, he's just a great player, really great player. Um, what what makes him great though is it, is it great because he's very articulated, or is he great because he's intuitive, or all those I mean, things? He's not, you know. You know what he has? He was the kiss of her. He was a, like what people say they like about a George Harrison. Mm-hmm. He was a guy that if you take any kiss song, the lead, besides whatever the solo is, he was a genius at like putting in the little doodads and we'll play, nuggets. Let's play, you know, play some if you don't mind. And, uh, do you want to, do you want to play it on this? Would you rather try it? No, try no, it, it doesn't oh, make okay. any difference. Um, so, uh, what, what's Just because song? it's a triple pickup guitar, yeah, kiss people. Song. That's why. Kiss song. Um, if I were, I, I mean, I don't know. Again, a lot of titles. You pick. It's your choice. Uh, I know Strutter, Detroit Rock City, Christine Sixteen. Well, uh, uh, well let's say everything Strutter, right? Okay, see this. Starts this lead with like. He's got this like. Uh, I haven't practiced my ace in a while. I'll give you one ace thing he would do because ace didn't have an amazing vibrato and what he would do instead of a vibrato was he would bend in tune so he would do this like like yeah those are wow 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 like he would always be on top like yeah yeah he would have this like a that's actually the the quintessential ace sound is that 
wow, 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 like that. that You're um, bending up and not down, right? Is that is that the difference? Yeah, yeah. So now, now here's an example of aces. Like this is it's actually a great example of of, of your of limitations. Because say now if you're Jeff Beck or Mick Ronson, like Mick Ronson and Jeff Beck are excellent vibrato guys. Now an excellent vibrato guy. Now I'll try to do this. I don't know if I'll be able to. But like like an excellent excellent vibrato would be sort of like say if I could if I could bend it up, get it to the top, and then vibrato. This is what Ace does not do. But say if he went like this. Ace couldn't do that. Ace would do this. Ace would be. And the thing is, if you listen to what he did, he would bend. So in his limitations, he would bend in tune and rhythmically. Um, but I mean, like the I guess I guess best the best way to describe it would be kind of like as a technician. I mean, keep it in mind, we're talking about early 70s into the 60s. There was a lot of heavy competition. So the main thing that you'll notice if you listen to Ace on any Kiss record is every single thing he plays has purpose, has structure, is executed with clarity, no slop. Like you never hear the sound of a guy that sounds like he's trying to make a lot of noise to make a blur. And like I said, like even Jimmy Page and Jimi Hendrix, you know, they, they're great articulate players, but you'll hear it sometimes just going nuts where you just start to hear slop. Ace never did that. You listen to every single thing he ever did. The clarity is always there. And um, he just has like, um, it's the George Harrison thing where when you listen to a Kiss song, the lead parts are little hooks that stick in your head. So he was like, he was, he was kind of the perfect, you know, you know, um, it, it's funny because I want to give him a good compliment without it being backhanded because Kiss were not geniuses. They weren't the greatest musicians. They weren't genius songwriters, but they really took a lot of time and care making sure that everything worked, that the songs worked as songs, the harmonies were there, the structure was there, every guy had his role, there was always a good bass line, good lead stuff, solid, like they had all the ingredients. Right, yeah. I mean, Kiss is almost the opposite of, like, when you think of, like, if I talk about Mark Bolin, like, Mark Bolin could barely play, but he overcame it because he's a genius. It's almost like Kiss overcame, like, their non-genius through hardworking mediocrity. But uh, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, because, uh, to, you know, to me, what came through a lot with them was their obvious... You know, inspiration by from 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 like comic books and from yeah. things that were very, you know, uh, very broad. And so, it's almost like you're describing his playing in the same way. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's like a great comic book, as opposed to a novel. You know what I mean? It's not oh, very yeah. intricate and not very, but it is like uh, it's satisfying in the way that a really good comic book can be satisfying. No, that's a great. It's and, a great analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, but, well, for me, though, one thing that came up, too, is because I was listening to Kiss when I was little, when I was eight, and listened to him when I was, you know, till when I was 12. Yeah. Then when I got older and started, you know, then I started playing instruments, started playing bass, then, you know, guitar. And then when I started playing guitar and started to do solos, some of the first solos I was able to learn was Ace. And it was part because I'd heard it so much. Yeah. It's part because he's not the trickiest guy out there. But a lot of it is because everything he played was so clear and to the point that you can you can hear what he's doing. And the techniques that he's using are just the basic stock rock 
you know, blues-based rock techniques. Yeah. Same bends, same little fiddlies. But um, he's a real quality guy, like a lot of style. And it, like he's an example of guitar player. Like, if you listen to Kiss, you know, the cliche about like you can know a lead guitar player because you can hear his personality and his playing. Yeah. I mean, Ace has, has as much of that as anyone ever did, I would say. Uh, what about any subsequent Kiss bands? Wasn't he in the... Uh... Was it Freely's Comet or Ace's? Yeah, Comet I don't, or? I don't yeah. follow the uh, Ace's solo album. I'll, get, I'll talk about Ace's solo album, but um, no, I haven't listened to much post Kiss. Well, back Ace. in the New York Groove was a hit. I mean, no, but on. that was from Ace's so- Kiss era solo album. Right, that's so what I'm Kiss saying. era solo album doesn't count. But it count turns as out that he he didn't write that song. right? Russ that's Ballard what, wrote it. Yeah, it was a glam song rock is. song from England. Oh right. I forget which band did it. But I I love that song. I think he does a great job. With yeah, that everyone song. loves that song. Yeah, he does a great job, but he doesn't have that much to do in that song. Because there's not that much in it. I know. But um, that album, though, if you haven't listened to the Ace solo album, it's fucking great. Rocks, man. Joe Perry plays on it, I think. I never heard it. I gotta go out. That's the ones where they all had their own albums, right? They- yes, and it was caused by Peter Chris. Because Peter Chris, because he sang Beth. Yeah. You know how drummers are stupid and rock musicians are stupid and people that have good luck are stupid so peter chris figures like oh i'm obviously the best singer in kiss i've had the only hit i need to make a solo album and bust it out but kiss was doing good so they said no don't make a solo album now that'll fuck us up we'll all make solo albums release at the same time but it's really because peter chris wanted to make a solo album and leave and basically he left pretty quick after but ace ended up being the king and look how great he did after he left look how well he did oh my yeah God. he's right up there with mick taylor yes uh we got to wrap up thanks again to keith hartel for coming by oh, thank you Always don't disconnect us yet i'm going to say goodbye so okay well. um again it's the marathon is on so go to aerialview.me and pledge and keith why don't you articulate some reasons to pledge to aerial view well, I think you should pledge to Aerial View because there's just nothing. There's not. This is. This is. There's nothing like this out there, man. There's nothing like this out there. This. This doesn't just happen by itself. It needs support. It doesn't. It needs just support. You can't by just itself. take it for granted. They just don't send you a bill. This isn't cable vision. This isn't cable vision where you pay a thousand dollars a month and see the Mad Men for the rest of your life and never weigh whether you're gonna cough up or not it's not like that it's not like that at all and with that i'll uh, wrap it up and say thanks again to keith and keith will be back we have more guitar lessons and more guitarists to dissect and to discuss and again uh, i want to thank everybody for supporting the show so far and please if you get a chance go to aerialview.me pledge 75 dollars or more get the brand new aerial view lighter the fifth in a series with artwork by robert Piersanti. And uh, I'll see you next Tuesday. We're out. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.